0: Hello and welcome to the—I uh, don't know what I'm going to call it actually. I—I um—I'm just wanted to do a podcast that's short. I was thinking of calling it Five Minute Fix originally, but then I Googled Five Minute Fix, and the Washington Post has something called that. Uh, I think it's like something about Trump. So probably not going to be that. Um, but by the time you see this, if it's public, you'll probably know what the title is, given that there's probably album artwork and a you know a title in front of you. So. This is just going to be a quick hit podcast where I discuss things that I'm interested in. Uh, Today it happens to be books. Some days it might be film. Some days it might be fitness. Some days it might be, uh, you know, writing. I don't know. I don't know what's coming out of this. I was inspired to do it just on a whim by a podcast from Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo where they're talking about um, how terrible they were when they first started podcasting. And I. You know, it made me think that I should try my hand at it because I know I'm going to be bad at it. And from high school pretty much on, I think I was probably maybe a junior in high school when I realized that like attacking the things I'm bad at is is primarily what gives me the most satisfaction in life. So um, that's the goal in this podcast. I don't know if you can hear that or if it's too faint, but my dog is definitely snoring on the couch next to me. This is how low budget this show is, all right? There's no microphone. This is just literally my iMac's internal built-in microphone. Um, There's no software that I downloaded for this. It's just GarageBand. And I didn't even... I had not opened GarageBand on my iMac until minutes ago. (laughs) And I've had it for this Mac for four or five years, I think. Maybe longer, I don't know. So, this is gonna be the lowest budget podcast ever. Maybe, maybe I should call it some, like uh, worst podcast in history or something like that. That would get some views maybe. Um, But the only thing basically I know how to do in GarageBand after playing around with it for a total, like what, I don't know, five minutes, um, is to like snip things off and like put clips together. So if you hear a pause and then like the background noise goes out and then I resume talking somewhere else, it's probably cause that's what I did. I'm not going to have an editor. I'm not going to hire anybody to do it. It's just going to be like free flowing thoughts direct. And I will try to cut out big blank spaces where I'm just like sitting there sounding like a doofus, but I can't cut it all out. It's just going to be a lot of it. So just be aware of that. It's this is intended to just be authentic and to be, curious and to be honest about things that I've found that have helped me and hopefully they'll help you too. So um, today I want to talk about two books and then I want to briefly mention something that's really helped me in the arena of fitness. Um, First we'll talk about the books. Um, Ramit Sethi, and I hope I'm saying that right, Ramit, Ramit, I don't know, Um, R-A-M-I-T is his name has written a book called, I will teach you to be rich. And the title fits it. Um, let me just say that he is literally telling you in no uncertain terms, exactly how to be rich. Um, I highly recommend this book for everybody, especially young people. Um, I don't think someone who's over the age of like 35 would get a lot out of it, maybe even 30. Um, but if you're, if you're are in this age range or if you know someone who's in the age range of probably like 13 to 28 maybe um i highly recommend the book buy it for them give it to them buy them a kindle copy buy whatever you need to buy that for them to to get them to read it if you buy the audiobook i don't know um get it to them because the things that are talked about in this book are literally life-changing and the reason i know that they are is because i had been someone who did not budget my entire life until I hit 26. And, uh, my wife and I, we combined our finances when we got married and we didn't budget for a while. So we were all over the place. We had a ton of student debt as everybody does nowadays. Um, we both went to UCLA, uh, got history degrees. And though my job paid well, um, you know, you're, it's a lot to pay off over a long period of time. Everybody knows that about student months. So uh, it just kind of felt insurmountable, and you don't really know where to start. What first started turning me around was actually a church group. We had a small group in church, and uh, one of the couples who was in that group shared with me um, uh, budgeting. And I mean, we knew about budgeting, but like it, it was one of the lessons in the church group that like you need to have your marital finances in order. And Uh, they had a really good spreadsheet they were using on Google Docs, Google Sheets, and they shared it with us. And I took that thing and I freaking, (laughs) I adapted the hell out of it. I just took it and I started writing all sorts of weird formulas. Um, Nothing complex. It's really all adding, dividing, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I really wanted to get a good site picture of my finances. So I customized the heck out of it. It's basically like, it's like the Pimp My Ride of a personal budget at this point. It's like, you know, like, like if it were if it were on Pimp My Ride, it'd be that one where they like open up the back of the car and there's like a freaking inflatable projector out the back. Like, and you're like, why do you need that? And it's like, well, because it's cool. That's, that, that's how my budgeting spreadsheet feels to me. Um, and if anybody else saw it, they'd probably think the same thing. Um, all that to say that the reason I know that this book is good is because Ramit teaches so many of the things that I either learned through trial and error or that I had you know, um, gotten from somebody else who's really ver- well-versed in finance over the years. Um, and it's a really simple plan. He tells you to put your finances on autopilot and not worry about them like basically ever again. And I know that it's gonna change people's lives, especially for young people. So get them that book, watch them become millionaires in the future and be financially stable, and have great marriages and everything like that, because those are all tied together um, inextricably. One thing I will say that he, well, a couple things he says that I don't necessarily agree with. Number one, he says that you shouldn't have a personal budget that you're monitoring all the time. I disagree. I like doing that. I actually, it brings me joy to see the numbers, you know, go in a positive way after feeling so despondent for so long about my personal finances with student loans. So, however, whatever works for you, if you feel like you don't want to be sitting around monitoring a spreadsheet all the time and tracking every individual expense, fine. That that should work for you. Just follow what he says in the book. But if you really enjoy watching financial progress, I keep a spreadsheet, I update it all the time. I um I probably visit it and make sure it's updated every one that one day to one week somewhere in that range i'm constantly keeping up with it so whatever works for you great another caveat about this guy don't sign up for his newsletters i like the guy i like his book his newsletters are first of all there's like 20 of them and if you sign up for a newsletter you'll get pinged with emails every few days and it's just He's one of those guys who made a lot of money online, obviously, and now he you know, he puts online marketing tactics to work for him, which is great. I'm sure it works great for his business, but if you don't want to be pinged all the time with random things trying to sell you courses or trying to sell you more stuff, don't sign up for his stuff. Don't even visit his website. You don't really need to unless you're getting into like complex finance or something like that. Um, if your finances are just basic personal finances, you don't need his website. You don't need to sign up for a newsletter. Just read the book. Everything's in there. It's great so that's that the second thing i'm reading is um a book by shelby steele it's called white guilt and this is kind of like almost the antithesis or like a response to white fragility from robin d'angelo which is all the rage right now um but it it was actually written in 2006 whereas white fragility from robin d'angelo was written in 2018. this is kind of the the conservative angle on race relations in america And it's quite interesting. Um, I've only read five or 10% of it. So this is not a glowing overall endorsement of the book. I don't know much about it other than the intro story of it. But Shelby Steele makes the case that, well, I shouldn't say makes the case. I should say Shelby Steele in his opening to the book describes race relations when he was growing up and segregation and how the black community was very close and had this like, this sort of strange bond altogether because of segregation. Actually, I guess it's not strange, it's perfectly normal for people to do if you're segregated, especially enforced segregation. Um, and then over time, because of the diminishing, of, because of the outlawing of segregation, um, the black community became more fragmented, but um, he tells it through the lens of basically, you know, when he was growing up, they'd have to come in on the black side of town and his father would have to, you know, find another black man to figure out, you know, where they could go and what they could buy and you know uh without getting into trouble in that part of town right uh which is terrible terrible injustice um all around and that happened of course all over the country but then he contrasts that with then present day which was in 2006 um about how he was driving up to san luis obispo and he knew he could go anywhere in town wherever his wallet would take him and he would not face prejudice um that's not really to draw any conclusions from it. It's just interesting to hear from his perspective, you know, back then versus today. And then the interesting conclusions that he draws after saying all that, he says things um, about his own personal journey from, you know, kid growing up in segregated South to um, college, um, I guess he would probably describe himself as a leftist at the time. almost an extremist, um, definitely willing to use the threat of violence to get his way. Um, and he, uh, uh illustrates some of that in, in the book. And I'm, again, I'm only five to 10% of the way through it, but I really like it so far. I intend to read white fragility from Robin D'Angelo as well, just so I know what's in it. And, um, you know, it's gotten a lot of attention, so there must be something in it. Um, but, uh, I don't want to buy the book. I'm trying not to buy too many books because it gets expensive, man. But Libby, great app. I have a hold on it, and I'll get it, you know, maybe sometime next year or something because freaking everybody wants to read that book. Um, so, yeah, I'm just waiting for that. So this has been way longer than I expected to be. But one final thing, Chris Heria, fantastic fitness videos online. Um, I don't subscribe to his app. I didn't buy anything from him. I just went on YouTube, searched for, like, you know, great – Dumbbell workout from home, and his name popped up. And ever since then, I've just been Googling Chris Heria and then whatever body part or whatever you know area of my body I want to work out for strength or for um, or to lean me out. And this guy has the craziest um, best workout videos online. Like they're just super straightforward. What I do is I grab a blank piece of paper, I fold it into four pieces, and I literally take well, I fold it in half. So there's four panels basically. And then on one side, I'll write, you know, I'll go to one of Chris's videos that I that I think will resonate with me. And I'd literally go one, and I write down his first exercise and how many reps. And I go two, and I write down second exercise, how many reps. Sometimes I find that one of the exercises in his videos isn't exactly what I'm looking for, or I know of a, a better exercise that could work, something that is a real problem area for me. So I'll substitute some exercises in and out. Sometimes I'll change the rep count. Sometimes I'll change the set count. Sometimes I'll do uh, like three sets of his workout on his YouTube video, and then I'll find another one of his ab workout videos and do that as a as an additional add-on to it, so I get a little bit more out of it for the for the core work. But great stuff, like truly great stuff on there, and uh, his his physique is just inspiring. Like when you look at the guy, you're like, man, that's freaking how I want to look, and uh, highly 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 recommend it. So this has been probably longer than five minutes. I don't know how many seconds it's even been. I don't know if this is in five second increments or one second increments, but um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the worst podcast ever in history. Um, I hope to share more with you guys. I hope that you come back to this. You're interested enough to listen to this. I hope that this actually goes public and I don't chicken out and just hide it on my computer forever. Um, But thank you for your attention. Thank you for your time. And I got more to share. So tune in next time. Worst Pod is brought to you by... Just kidding. There's no ads yet. This has been a Worst Pod production.